All right, you guys. I'm like, we're powering through this study. Today, we're gonna get through all the methods section and I am not gonna be as impatient and um, kind of frustrated as I was yesterday trying to read this extremely dry and dense text. But I get through it today, we're gonna get through it today and um, there's a lot of things to learn from this study. Mostly what not to do uh, when you're you're designing a research study. Uh, But yeah, thanks for tuning in and here we go. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, last episode we left off um, right after the uh, cr- um, sorry cross sectional survey. So we did the we did the uh, survey monkey, and um, I'm against animal testing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we got demographic information, stuff about their pet ownership, their travel history, blah 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 blah. Um, now we're on the clinical evaluation. This is critical. This is where. The people are going into the doctor's office at Kaiser, the ones that are using the EHR, and they're getting examined, okay? Okay, so about the clinical evaluation, um, it says, clinical examinations. A medical history and a general physical examination were administered by an internist. A dermatologist administered a separate examination, which included documentation of skin bindings, collection of skin biopsies, and collection of fibers or other materials present on the skin. Total body photographs were done by a medical photographer to document case patients, overall skin condition, and the distribution of lesions. So all this means is, um, so we got first an internist, you know, this is the doctor that we all normally see when we go in and they don't know jack shit. Um, they, you know, basically every day they spend, uh, five to 10 minutes with people. They give them a, whatever, a strep test for their sore throat, uh, over-prescribe antibiotics and we're done. Um, never look at you. Um, but that's okay really in this, because he, all he's doing is a medical history and a general physical examination. So medical history, like you don't even need a, a medical degree to do that. Um, do you have any medical conditions? Yeah, I have diabetes. Uh, does your mother have any medical conditions? She's passed away. It was of cancer, blah, 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 blah. He's just asking you questions, writing down the answers. Okay. So we don't need any specialist for that. And then the general physical examination, he gets out his little hammer, make sure you have reflexes. He says, ah, um, you know, that listens to your heart, all that good stuff. So, okay, whatever. Then the dermatologist, um, did their documentation of skin findings. So they've got that little worksheet out with the cartoon human on it and they're circling, um, you know, elbow, there's a lesion, uh, forehead, there's a lesion, whatever. Okay. it's two millimeters long. It's non-purulent. It's, uh, that means there's no pus. Um, it's red or something. So, okay. Um, Collection of skin biopsies. That's the one-two punch, ouchy uh, uh, process that nobody likes. Full, full. They get like a cone or a cylinder of total thin, uh, total skin thickness. Lord, um, to to examine and collection of fibers or other material. Okay, present on the skin. What what's the problem here? There's a big problem with a small word, two letters on on the skin. They collected fibers or other materials present on the skin. Why didn't they extract them from the skin? 
Do you know how much stuff is contaminating the surface of your skin besides your normal flora and all the zillions of, um, you know, like bacteria and stuff that are living there? There's cotton fibers. There's things from the environment. Oh my God, this is so compromised. Um, total body photographs were done by a medical photographer. He was just tired of doing weddings and now he likes to, you know, photograph ulcers in an artful way. Um, so yeah, basically just taking a picture of their entire body and then also the distribution of lesions. Okay. Standardized criteria were used to categorize lesions and grade, normal, mild, moderate, severe, the extent of skin abnormalities. The number, location, and types of lesions were recorded by body area. Additional comments were included as appropriate to record clinical impressions that were not captured adequately by the standardized form. This is when the dermatologist turned it over to the backside and wrote, this fucker's crazy. Um, Participants self-rated the severity of their skin symptoms within the 24 hours preceding examination using a Likert scale. A Likert scale is something we have all done it's a number scale, like the pain scale when they say, what is your pain today? Zero means no pain. 10 is the worst pain you can imagine. Okay. That's, that's all I like. That's an example of an Likert scale. Um, okay. Next part, collection of skin samples and foreign material. Skin samples were obtained using a four millimeter punch biopsy. Ouch. Biopsies up to five per participant. Woo. Ouch, 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 ouch were obtained from abnormal and clinically normal skin areas. An abnormal skin area was defined, let's listen to this, as one that had either abnormal appearance to both participant and examiner or abnormal sensation, although appearing normal. Two biopsies were possible per abnormal skin area, one for histopathologic analysis and if clinically indicated, one for microbiologic culture. A single biopsy was obtained from normal skin. Okay, let's stop, break it down. They're going to identify two areas on your body that are abnormal. Uh, This is a little weird, Um, but (laughs) they, two of these areas could actually appear normal, but if the person said, yeah, it's really itchy right there, that's what they would have taken the two biopsies from. And the reason why they're taking two is because basically they got like an extra backup sample because the histopathologic um, uh, analysis is just when they put the tissue under the microscope. If they put it under there and they see some, you know, bacteria, then they're going to use the extra one they have to do a culture because in order to test for stuff like that, um, or fungal or whatever, you, you have to culture it and like grow it under certain temperature conditions and stuff before you can stain it and look at it. Okay. So that's the reason why they took two samples from two sites for a total of four. And then they took one sample from a normal site, but let's be honest here. They could have taken all five from a normal site because the person could have said, They could have had delusional parasitosis and said, yeah, here on my arm where there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, I feel this stinging all the time, all the time, all the time. I'm not saying that that person didn't necessarily feel that or that that person even had delusional parasitosis. I don't know. But is this good science? Have we absolutely confirmed that even the person we're dealing with has morgulons? No. Have we absolutely confirmed that um, these skin sites are abnormal? No. Not when they're based upon patient report. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, So then it says, a dermatoscope was used to photograph each biopsy site before and after the procedure. Um, 
I would love to see images. There's no images included in this uh, report online, which took me an hour and a half to find, by the way. Um, fibers or potential foreign material present on the participant's skin were photographed, then collected and placed in a formalin-filled plastic container and sent for analysis. Formalin is just a preservative. Only materials collected from participant skin by the dermatologist were sent for analysis. Uh, yeah, from the top of their skin, on their skin. Why didn't they extract stuff from the skin? Probably because they had the wrong goddamn patients. There was nothing there to extract. Jesus Christ. At study completion, an independent review of all dermatologic examination reports, dermatologic photographs, and pathology reports was done by a second dermatologist. So you got one dermatologist in the room with you writing, um, you know, on your little cartoon body where all your lesions are, turning it over on the back saying, this fucker's crazy. And uh, another dermatologist, she looked at it and said, um, okay, well, I wasn't there, but uh, check. Um, dermatologic photographs. So they looked at the pictures. Wow, she looks really good for having all these huge lesions. Um, and then pathology reports. Uh, the, so the things, the pathology reports are the results of the mic, you know, microscopic or whatever other kinds of analysis they did on these um, histopathological tissues. Okay, so neurocognitive and neuropsychiatric testing. Participants were administered a battery of standardized neuropsychological tests. The Weschler Test of Adult Reading, WTAR, was used to provide an estimate of intellectual functioning. That's where you like read the passage and then they ask you questions about it and they try to determine whether or not you understood it. So there, it's an intelligence test kind of. Uh, cognitive function uh, was assessed using the Stroop color and word test, the Proverbs and verbal fluency measures of the Dellis Kaplan executive function system, trademark, uh, the rough two and seven selective attention test, and the brief visuospatial memory test revised. All these have little trademarks after them, by the way. Hopkins verbal learning test revised, trademark, and the trail making test, TMT, parts A and B. The PAI, registered trademark, personality assessment inventory was used to assess assess personality functioning and to screen for evidence of major psychiatric disorders. All tests were administered in person, scored, and interpreted by trained neuropsychologists. Oh, so they're trying to test whether or not you're smart, which uh, could be a reliable, valid test. It's, it's somewhat influenced, though, let's face it, though, by culture and education, um, because reading is not necessarily the only um, facet of intelligence, but whatever. I'm not even sure why that's uh, important here. Um, I guess it could be in case this condition uh, damages your intellectual functioning. Um, and then the other test that they're talking about, I'm not familiar with every single one of these, but you know, it's generally like, I'm going to tell you a string of five words and I want you to repeat them back to me backwards in 10 minutes. Okay. So it's like making sure you don't have dementia or, you know, memory loss, um, whether or not you can pay attention to one thing at a time, you know, stuff like that, just cognitive capacity. Um, and then, uh, the personality assessment inventory, you know, I, I listen to me. I kind of find this a little bit compromised because in real life, when you take a group of patients who've been marginalized and treated like shit by the medical community, and then you bring them in, they're on the defensive. They know that they're going in here having to defend their sanity. And then you sit them down and say, hey, um, I need to interview you. Have you ever had homicidal thoughts? Have you ever uh, had uh, sexual thoughts about a minor? Or so, you know what I mean? It's like, these are, these are questions that are loaded 
with sociocultural um, baggage, and especially for this group of patients. I'm not saying that they shouldn't do um, some kind of, a, a, you know, personality quote assessment, but... <sighs> I don't know. And the whole thing about the test administered in person, scored and interpreted by trained neuropsychologists, they make it sound like, oh my gosh, this is so, it's, they have a sheet of paper, they read you the questions. And let me tell you, because they got so much education, a lot of the times they'll write your answers down, but a lot of the times they'll write down what you, they'll write down what you say, but they'll also write down what they think you mean, not what you say. Okay. So I don't trust this process. Um, but you know, uh, raw scores on the cognitive test and PAI, that's the personality one scales were converted to T scores. That's like what everybody in that general population that they adjusted for age, sex, blah, blah, blah. So they compared, you know, the morgy supposed morgy people to the general population and the, with those T scores. So T scores, uh, equal to or less than 30 corresponding to two standard deviations below the normative mean of 50 on the cognitive measures were considered clinically significant. So they're saying a normal score is 50. If you're 30 or under, that's not normal. Um, and T scores of over 70 on the personality scales were considered clinically significant. All right. Um, they're not giving us the results here. They're just telling us, well, this is, this is the rubric of what we're comparing. Um, laboratory studies. Okay. This is when they're taking your blood, uh, more ouchies, these poor people, blood samples and serologic tests. Serologic is just the serum. When you spin in a centrifuge, the blood, the plasma separates from the serum and the serum is clear and they just scoop it off the top because some tests require that. Anyway, um, so they did. They were obtained for complete blood count with differential. Differential just means they looked at every single kind of blood cell because we have red blood cells and we have white blood cells and there's five different types of white blood cells. And looking at those and making sure those numbers are in range can give you an idea of like very general health. Um, they also tested for erythrocyte sedimentation rate. Erythrocyte is a fancy word for red blood cell. Um, and if it's elevated, that sedimentation rate, another thing where they spin it in the centrifuge, if it's, if it's elevated, it means you have inflammation somewhere in your body. Serum glucose. So is your sugar normal? Are you diabetic? Serum, uh, ferritin, that's iron. Serum IgE, that's an immunoglobulin. And IgE is very, very specific for parasites. So if you were fighting parasites, theoretically, your IgE would be elevated. Liver function test, um, albumin, total protein, total serum calcium, phosphorus, serum blood urea, nitrogen, and creatinine. That's like a kidney function test. Uh, vitamin B12 and folate, because uh, deficits in those can cause neurological problems. Serum vitamin B1. Anti-nuclear antibody, ANA. So um, remember how I mentioned that it was weird that they didn't look through the rheumatology department's uh, medical records since they knew that this was associated with MS, fibromyalgia, and um, chronic fatigue syndrome, which are all thought to have an autoimmune component to them. Um, ANA is something that me personally, when I go to the doctor, I, and I've been to rheumatology, um, my ANA is always extremely elevated. But you know, it, there's a certain portion of the population who hasn't elevated ANA, but they seem to be pretty healthy like me. Um, rheumatoid factor, RF, again, rheumatoid arthritis, it, a few other autoimmune disorders might have elevations of rheumatoid factor, but mainly rheumatoid arthritis, thyroid function test, and C-reactive protein. Uh, C-reactive protein is, uh, they're testing that because of it, kind of like the, uh, the sedimentation rate that, that indicated inflammation, the C-reactive protein. If that's elevated, that also means that you could have some inflammation going on. Um, so basically just like a basic screening. Okay. 
uh, serum samples. So then they took this, that was the blood, what they did to the blood. Then they got the serum and they, the serum samples were tested for hepatitis B surface antigen and antibodies to hepatitis B core antigen, hepatitis B surface antigen and hepatitis C. Okay. Uh, past or present HBV infection was defined as the presence of anti-HBC persons with test positive, blah, 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 blah. Basically they're saying, did you get the hep B vaccine and you have vaccine induced immunity? Have you ever had hep B actually for real? Or have you ever had hep C? I don't really, I don't really know why we're testing that, but they did it. Um, at CDC, serum samples were tested for the presence of antibodies to Borrelia burgdorferi. Remember, that is the bacteria <clears throat> thought to be mainly responsible for Lyme's disease. Okay, uh, although from what I've read, there could potentially be lots of different bacteria involved, and there's uh, many strains of Borrelia burgdorferi. Uh, they also tested for Toxicara. Toxicara is a um, usually a veterinary worm that dogs and cats get, but I, I think humans can possibly get it too. So worms, good. Okay, well, let's explore that. And uh, strong Um I do not know how to say that word, but it's also a worm, a human parasitic worm. Uh, B. Bergdorferi reactivity was determined using a polyvalent IgM slash IgG. Those are those immunoglobulins again. Enzyme immunoassay. Uh, and separate, I love uh, Western blot, they did it. Low passage Bergdorferi strain B31 was used as the antigen source for both assays. So they took their serum, compared it to, to find if they had this one strain of this one bacteria thought to cause Lyme. Okay, not exactly comprehensive. Why did this study take four years again? You guys had plenty of fucking time. Uh, anyways, uh, so they compared it. And then that seropositivity was fine based upon uh, Western blood, blah, 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 130 days after illness onset. This is pretty technical. Specimens with at least five of 10 IgG diagnostic bands were considered positive in accordance with CDC recommended criteria. I, look, I'm not a, a subject matter expert by any stretch of the imagination on, on this uh, Lyme disease and the testing for it. But all I know is that it's infamously uh, inaccurate and uh, difficult to diagnose in, in many cases of Lyme. Uh, okay, so then they to detect the Toxicara antibodies... Toxicara EIA, that was the um, the enzyme immunoassay. The uh, it, that was used uh, for both the T canis and T catty infections. So, what do you think? K nine is the dog one. Catty kitty is the cat one. Uh, the assay utilizes T canis excretory and secretory antigens from infective stage larvae and antibodies that are measured and reported as a titer. A positive Toxicara result was defined as a titer of uh, more than one uh, to a ratio of 32. Okay, yeah. Again, technical. They were checking for the worms. Uh, kind of same thing with the strongyolysis. They used an ELISA, quantitative ELISA, which measures antibodies uh, to a crude larval extract. Yada, yada, yada. Guys, I mean, believe me, you don't really want to hear all this. Um, it, there's just a couple of more sentences about the test. Okay. Non-blood samples and tests. So urine was obtained for microscopy. And if pyuria, that means pus in the urine, or bacteria, that's obviously bacteria, was detected, it was sent for culture. Again, they got to grow it, stain it, and then look at it. Because of the association between drug use and formication, participants' hair samples were tested to determine the presence of amphetamines, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, cocaine, cannabinoids, methadone, opiates, phenylcycline, that's phenylcycladine is PCP. Who the hell does PCP these days? And propoxyphene. 
Y'all, I never even heard of that drug. I don't even know what that is. I've never, ever heard of that. Um, don't know. Uh, chest radiographs, x-rays also were performed. Okay. Uh, swabs attained from open skin lesions were sent to Quest Diagnostics for microbiologic analysis, including gram stain, bacterial, and fungal cultures. Viral cultures were performed if the lesions were clinically consistent with a viral etiology. So one example of skin lesions with a viral etiology would be herpes. Now, why the hell you would take a sample of anything from something you already knew was a cold sore to do viral testing on it? We're looking for the freaking Morgulon sores. Okay. Histopathologic, immunohistochemical, molecular, and QND, nice typo, CDC, and chemical evaluation of biopsy specimens. So this from the full thickness, uh, four millimeter skin biopsy, okay? They, they took those tissues and um, they placed them in 10% formalin, formalin the, the preservative, and sent to CDC. Three nanometer sections were prepared, stained with hematoxylin and eosine, H&E, and evaluated by a team of infectious diseases pathologists for histopathologic changes using light microscopy and for exogenous material using polarized light. So exogenous material is meaning endogenous is inside the body, exogenous is outside the body. I'm assuming they're saying that they use uh, uh, polarized light for the things they gathered off the skin. You know, the flint, the, the what do you call it, fluff balls and lint from people's shirts. Nice job, CDC. Um, specimens showing inflammatory cell infiltrates on light microscopy were further evaluated on additional sections using special stains, uh, then they list them, blah, 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 to detect bacteria or fungi. And if an infectious agent was identified by immunohistochemical stains and or PCR assays. Okay, so <laughs> inflammatory uh, cell infiltrates are just those white blood cells working for you to keep you not uh, sick. You know, if they see those, you know, in, in that area, they know that something is inflamed. That's all that means. Um, and uh, a team of infectious diseases pathologists. Is that the part of the team that was listed on the study, the names? I'd like to know that. Um, evaluated. So, yeah, okay. So if they identified something infectious, they stained it and they looked at it. Uh, H&E stained slides prepared at CDC were anonymized, uh, de-identified, and sent to AFIP. Remember, that's the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology. Uh, which I don't know, is this normal for them to send their stuff to a military, inst- uh, you know, wing of the government? I, if, if that's done every time with a CDC study, cool. If it's not, why the fuck did you do this uh, for the Morgulon study? And uh, by the way, that AFIP, that was disbanded in 2011, one year before the publication of this study. Just an interesting note, just an interesting note. Um, and then, uh, so they were anonymized and sent to AFIP along with two unstained consecutive cuts from the same biopsy, one mounted on a carbon disc, the other on a blah, blah, to maximize probability of detection and analysis of fibers or materials in this section. At AFIP, H&E stained sections were evaluated by light microscopy by two dermatopathologists who were blinded to the clinical diagnosis of the cases and under polarized light by a pathologist with experience in the evaluation of unidentified materials in tissue sections. Okay, let's stop right here. So you got two people 
who don't know any of the diagnosis, so they can't be, you know, biased, examining the tissues, okay, under the light microscopy. Good, okay, I guess that's good. Um, That's better than just one, right? Because we have somebody kind of checking behind. But then you only have one guy or, or gal looking at the fibers, the thing, the mysterious thing. Well, shouldn't we have like a whole team? What happened to that team of infectious disease pathologists that we had earlier? What's going on? Um, and a, oh gosh, okay. So one, one guy or one gal uh, uh, who has experience in the evaluation of unidentified materials and tissue sections looked at this. Tissue sections containing unidentified materials were further analyzed by scanning electron microscopy with energy dispersive X-ray analysis, SEM slash EDXA, to determine the material's elemental composition. So like what was it made of? Like tin, boron, lead, you know, what, what were the elements? And by infrared spectroscopy, IR, to identify molecular characteristics. The measured infrared spectra were compared with those of authentic samples, such as cotton gauze for cellulose, and to spectra stored in a digital spectral library. So basically they're saying, we have this huge database of pictures of, this is what, uh, you know, like cotton looks like under this infrared uh, spectroscopy process that we look at stuff with. Um, so kind of like, you know, like they com- that guy Randy or Dr. Randy, he compared, um, he compared uh, some of these fibers that he got uh, out of people's skin to uh, the FBI's database of 880 uh, commercial fibers that are documented that he can compare them to and found no matches. Um, so they apparently did that too. Uh, molecular and spectral analysis of fibers and other materials. Fibers or other materials collected from participants' skin were analyzed at AFIP. Um, submitted materials were photographed, attached to aluminized slides by drying, crushing, or by using conducting adhesive tabs. And then it says the name of the company that, I guess, makes them. And then analyzed by SEM slash EDXA and IR. Um, so I guess the CDC is saying that Again, these were, these were analyzed at AFIP. I mean, they already said that earlier. I'm not sure why we're repeating that. Statistical analysis. Continuous data were summarized using descriptive statistics, including mean, standard... Oh, we're not reading this section. It's just like telling you... I don't know if you've ever taken statistics, but there's a lot of boring jargon in this paragraph. Whew, okay, my God. We are done with methods, people. Next is results. That's what we are interested in. But I think that we already know that um, the results were shitty because the method was shitty. The design was shitty. And um, this took four years to do. Why? Why? Because the last thing I'm going to go over before I uh, wrap it up today, before we get into next episode tomorrow about the results, was the numbers of people, okay, in the study. So when they did this uh, medical records review for all the people in Kaiser, 30% of this population in Northern California, this this, this comprises, um, they only identified 100, there's 2,850,606 enrollees in this Kaiser thing, right? The number of cases they identified, was 104 in the electronic record and then 11 not identified in the electronic record, meaning people called up and said, I want to participate. I got Morgulons. And they said, come on in. Um, We don't even need to look at you. Come on in. 
Um, bring your dog, bring your sister, bring your grandma. Um, yeah, so 115 people they identified as even being maybe eligible. The majority of them were female, 75 or 79, and uh, 25 of them were male. Uh, there was only one person under 18 that was identified as being a potential uh, study subject. And um, 21 people between the ages of 18 and 44, I am 39 and I will always be 39, um, and that I'd be in that group, uh, 45 to 64, uh, that was 65 people. So we, the, the vast majority here are 45 to 64. And over 65 were 17. Okay, so um, we have... Only 115 people identified as being maybe eligible. You want to know what, how many people that uh, did the web survey? 70. You want to know how many people they did a clinical examination on? 41. And I, I have to confirm this, and I will before the next episode, but from what I remember, you know how many people that they actually did the biopsies and looked at samples for? Well, you want to guess? What do you think? It's 40, 30? It's 12. That's what I, that I think. And I'll check that, but it's 12. So we have a possible outbreak in Northern California of a mysterious fucking disease. Could be anything. Could be bioterrorism. Could be aliens. Could be a new pathogen that we don't know about. Could be a, a evolution or some mutation of an existing pathogen like, like Burgdoria borrelia, whatever the hell you say it. Um, you know, it could be anything. They take four years to analyze it. Then they basically do 12 samples people's samples of maybe abnormal skin, maybe, maybe, quite possibly, totally normal skin, just a diluted or truly diluted person or somebody that has something else. Um, and that's the basis upon which they have silenced this conversation that we still are needing to be having and we will be having and we are having about what is Morgamont's. We know it's not delusional parasitosis. We know it. We know it. I didn't wake up at the age of 39 after a life of uh, non-delusional and non-psychotic mental wellness and suddenly decide to make up stories about fucking foil and glitter and fibers and fuzzballs and pepper flakes and bullshit coming out of my skin. Because that's not fucking rational. And I would not do that. And you would not do that. And um, this study is shit. I'm sorry, CDC. I'm sorry. You do good work, I'm sure. But you didn't do good work on this one, okay? 12 people, 12 fucking people, and a survey monkey of 70? No, no, no. We'll go over results when, when we get together again and do this. But um, not impressed. This is why uh, this is why we have an uphill battle ahead of us because people don't go through and read every word of this. And, they, and if they do, they probably don't understand it because it's just so much jargon and it's so boring. Um, and thank you for like listening and, and going through this with me. I was dying yesterday. I mean, it's just, it really is not like fun reading, but, um, I hope you had fun listening. I hope you learned some stuff. I certainly did just how fucking shitty and lazy some people are that call themselves scientists. But, uh, anyway, um, I am so 
So grateful. It is a beautiful, sunny day in Atlanta, Georgia. I hope it is nice weather wherever you happen to reside. I hope you feel well. And if you don't feel well, I hope this made you feel a little bit better. Um, you know, true friends are rare. But you always have one in Crystal Clear. And I really appreciate you all. Uh, thanks for listening and stay tuned.